All right, Daniel chapter 2. So pray for me and for you, because I'm going to try to go through 49 verses this morning. Lord willing, we're going to see how that goes. Uh, I've studied for it, I've outlined it, and I'm ready. So let's, let's pray that we get through it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. I pray also if anybody is here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray also this would be the most attentive hour of our week. And I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. if you were here last week, we saw just the, how Daniel ended up in Babylon. And we saw how he purposed in his heart as a young man not to defile himself. And he stood firm and was faithful, knowing that King Nebuchadnezzar, who was a man who was pretty quick to put people to death, but he took a stand for the Lord, even knowing that it would cost him his life. And most people believe he was about 13 or 14 years old when this took place. See, we think of Daniel in the lion's den in his 80s, but he never gets to the lion's den, and there's no book of Daniel if he's not taking a stand for the Lord as a young man. Nebuchadnezzar was so evil, in fact, I left this out last week, it was in my notes, that there's a, at one point he takes a, a Judean king and he brings him out and kills two of his sons right in front of him and then pokes his eyes out. So the last thing he will remember is the death of his own sons that he ever gets to see. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar came in and was wiping out families. Nebuchadnezzar only took away those who were intelligent, charismatic, those he thought he could indoctrinate. We saw them trying to indoctrinate Daniel last week and his friends. They changed his name. They changed his diet. They put him into pagan university and right, taught him sorcery and all these kinds of things. And Daniel continued to stand for the Lord. Now, as we come to chapter two this morning, this morning's chapter is one of the greatest, and we'll see three chapters in the book of Daniel that are either interpretations of dreams or visions or have a very clear prophetic uh, perspective. This is going to be the first one this morning. And when I read prophecy in the Bible, I love so much about it. And one of the things I love about it, and you should love about it, is that the prophecy we'll see this morning, 90% of it's already been fulfilled. So when we read prophecy of things that are being foretold for the future, and then we see them come true exactly as the Bible says, we can have even greater confidence that God will do the same in the prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled yet. Amen? So because of what we see today, we can have even greater confidence that the rapture is coming, greater confidence that all the things that God has promised in his word will take place. So in Daniel 2, we're going to see this morning the multi-metallic image. In Daniel 7, we'll see four beasts, and both of them kind of talk about the same nations. And then we're going to see the 70 weeks of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, and that's where we get Again, down to the day when the Lord will, would come into Jerusalem, uh, to the day from when they began the rebuilding of the wall until Jesus marched in to the day. It also talks to us to about the seven-year tribulation. We'll see all that in chapter 9. In Matthew 24, and Jesus is all of that discourse, if you have not read that lately, can I encourage you, go read Matthew 24. We're kind of living in it. So you should go read that. I encourage you to do that uh, this afternoon when you go home. But much of what he talks about in Matthew 24 is based on the book of Tent, a book of Daniel. So we can trust the word of God historically. We can trust it archaeologically, and we can trust it prophetically. And we're going to see some of that this morning. Guys, our God is sovereign and in control. He knows everything from eternity past. He knows everything that will take place in the future. He brings us peace to know, it brings us peace to know that we serve an all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty King of kings and Lord of lords. We can trust in his promises and we, and we can know that no matter what is going on around us, God wins. Amen? It's, it's heart-wrenching to see we have people that are pro-terrorists in our country having parades for terrorism and it's nauseating, but I always am reminded we need to pray for them because they need to get saved, and we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God, and we don't have to be fearful of any of it because our God is in control, and in the end, our God wins. Amen? And in this morning's text, we're going to see the most powerful king in the world being consumed and tormented by a dream. 
You know what? This guy's just become the king of the world in a sense. He's got the most powerful military. He's wiped out all of his enemies. He's in a position of power and authority. He's actually like an emperor more than a king where nobody could question anything he said. Nothing had to go through Congress or had to be voted on by the House of Representatives. If he said it, that was it. So this guy literally is probably one of the richest and most powerful men, if not the most powerful man on the planet. And we're going to see this morning, he has no peace. And the reason for that is there's nothing the world can offer you that will bring you peace. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you'll, you'll be happy for a minute. It doesn't matter how powerful you are, or it doesn't matter how much stuff that you have, how many followers you've got, all those things that we think will bring us peace or that buying the new car or whatever it might be. Guys, the only way we have peace is if we're walking with the Prince of Peace. It's only if we know him. And we're going to see that King Nebuchadnezzar, this guy who's quick to slay people, a guy who's in this position of great authority, has a dream that's going to trouble his spirit and torment him. So much so that he can't sleep and he's going to want an answer. And this is the kind of guy that if he doesn't get the answer, he starts killing people until he does. And that's what we're going to see in this morning's text. Again, no, no amount of power, position, or authority will bring you peace. If you have the outline, grab it. I tell the message, from a troubled spirit to a place of worship and surrender. Nebuchadnezzar is an enigma to me. Because Nebuchadnezzar has chapters where he's the most evil guy you will ever meet. And then he, at the end of this chapter, he's going to get on his knees and worship the Lord and say that he and he alone is God. And then I'm going to give it away. And next week, he's going to build a statue to himself and make everybody bow to it. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, dude. I mean, he's, 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 he's just all over the map. But he begins, he's just been conquering. And what we're going to see today is from thinking you're great to worshiping the one who truly is. That's what we're going to see in Nebuchadnezzar, at least for the moment. Point number one, wealth, power, and position will never bring peace. The king seemed to have it all, and yet he was troubled deeply in his spirit. You can have it all, but without the Lord, you're never satisfied. Your flesh is never going to be satisfied. Number two, turning to the world for answers. So he's panicking. He doesn't have answers. There's a God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. And what's he going to do? He's going to run to the sorcerers and the magicians to get answers. And this is what the world does. Our world has questions. Our world uh, does not have peace. And so they're looking for answers, but sadly, they look in the wrong places. And that's exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar does at the beginning. He's looking in the wrong place. And you know what? Here's what the world does. They just make up answers and just figure, well, nobody knows the difference anyway. We'll just make something up and hope that works out. Well, guess what? We have the answer and his name is Jesus Christ. We don't have to make up answers. We don't have to pretend stuff. We're going to see that he's going to want an answer. And usually they can answer him because they can just make it up. But we're going to see that he does something where they can't just make it up. And he's going to start killing some of his own wise men because they don't give him the answer. So turning to the world for answers. Number two, turn to the Lord when you're seeking the truth. Guys, he's the mighty counselor. He's the one that we turn to for answers, for truth, and for hope. For the promise of heaven can bring calm in midst of the greatest crisis. We're going to see that Daniel knows the Lord so well, that when his life is being threatened, he doesn't flinch. When he stands before the king, the most powerful man who's killing all of his other wise men around him, he's calm. And you know why he's calm? You know why he doesn't flinch? Because you can't threaten him with heaven. Amen? Because he knows and understands that no matter what the world does to me, I'm heaven bound. I know the creator of the universe. I'm, you know, in his case, not born again yet, but he was a follower of Almighty God. And of course, he was God's man. Number four, thank the Lord and praise him that he hears our prayers. Let me ask you guys a question. We all pray. I hope we all pray. Amen. When was the last time you just prayed to just thank God? Often, I think we pray when we, when we need something, but we don't necessarily come back after he answers our prayer and thank him. And we need to do more of that. Anybody besides me need to do more of that. We pray with desperation when we're in a tough spot and then God comes through and we may, oh, thank you, Lord, but do we really take time to thank him? Well, praise God, we're going to see in tonight's text. We need to thank the Lord and praise him when he hears our prayers. Guys, even when he says no, amen? Does he know what he's doing when he says no? What's the answer? So then you say, okay, Lord, I don't get it. 
I, my life isn't going the direction I thought. I prayed about this, and you said no. Well, I trust you that you know better than me. Amen? Number five, when God chooses to use you, speak boldly in faith and give God the glory. Here's what I'm seeing a lot with Christians now. We're so afraid because the, the woke culture has shouted everybody down and everybody's afraid to take a stand for anything because they'll get, you know, they'll get canceled or somebody will come after you. Guys, if, people, if the world isn't coming after us every once in a while, we're not living out loud for Jesus. Amen? There needs to be some. Well, we, need to, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And I want to say this too. And when you're talking to somebody about the Lord, don't defend yourself, just point them to Scripture. Because we get into this thing, we want to defend ourselves and talk about ourselves and use our, Who cares about me? Let's talk about Jesus. Amen? I don't care. Well, you're a pastor. So what? Where are you at with Jesus? That's what matters. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you're going to do it now or you're going to do it later. Doing it now is heaven. Doing it later is hell. And I pray you get to know Jesus. Amen? I don't know why this was on my heart for a while. But God put it on my heart about a year ago to pray for Matthew Perry. And I just started praying for him. I saw him in an interview. I could see his struggle. And I just started praying for him. And I was like, Lord, some, bring, bring a godly person in this man's life. Could you, sh- I, man, this guy's, this guy's, he's Nebuchadnezzar. He had everything. Think of $20 million a year in residuals on his on friends. And, and, you know, but his life was in such torment and just broke my heart. And, and, and not just him, but I pray for other people like that. And then, of course, most of you know that he died yesterday. You know, he drowned in his, in his jacuzzi, and, and the, it's heartbreaking because I'm, I'm like, man, Lord, I, I pray that he came to know you somehow. But God put him on my heart. But guys, I think we need to have that heart for everybody who's lost, amen? We need to see people and be burdened for them and pray for them that they would come to know the Lord. And we need to, when the opportunity comes, don't hem-haw about your faith. Well, you might want to maybe think about possibly at some point in your life considering the fact that you might want to maybe, just possibly, if you feel good about it, uh, read your Bible. Or, uh, you know, maybe come visit. Guys, let's tell them the truth like the building's on fire because it is. And we know where the exit is. Amen? And so we want to speak with boldness. Do it in love. But let's not be ashamed of the gospel. And don't defend yourself. Just point them to Jesus. Amen? Number six, God is sovereign and in control and in the end he wins. So God sets up kingdoms and tears them down. We'll see that in the, in the prophecy this morning. He sets up kingdoms and tears them down, sets up kingdoms and tears them down, sets up kingdoms and tears them down. And often the kingdoms get torn down when they turn themselves over to pagan idolatry and the Lord just brings righteous judgment. And we as a nation need to be careful because we're certainly headed in that direction. And then finally, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Daniel and his friends sought the Lord for wisdom and truth. They trusted he would bring the answers. God blessed their faithfulness, praised them in positions to be used mildly by God, and brought a pagan king to a place of humble worship. So let's begin there in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 2. If stuff blows away, I might need help, but that's okay. Got enough pages, maybe they're heavy enough to stay there. All right. So Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, first thing, wealth, power, and position will never bring peace. Now, the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, so troubled that his sleep left him. So his spirit was so troubled. Thanks, brother. Appreciate that. Thank you. MacGyver. Who's carrying around it? Praise the Lord. So Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit so troubled him. It's interesting to see that a pagan, godless man has a spirit because he does. And a lost world has a spirit and his spirit troubled him. Now, again, he's wealthy. He's got position. He's got power. He can do anything he wants to anybody he wants, anywhere he wants. And yet in the midst of that, he's having dreams. And these dreams are so troubling him in his spirit that he can't sleep. So this man who seems to have everything realizes there's nothing he can do about that. And you know what? That's what needs to happen sometimes. People who think they have everything need to come to the end of themselves to recognize, yeah, okay, you got all the money in the world, but now you have cancer. What are you going to do about that? 
Now you have a wayward child. Now you have something going on in your life that you can't fix. And this is where Nebuchadnezzar, this man who is all-powerful and almighty in his own mind, has as much authority as anybody on the planet, and he's having these dreams and he can't sleep at night and he's being tormented in his spirit. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the mighty Babylonian empire. He had conquered Jerusalem on his way to Egypt. He had already conquered Nineveh and the Assyrians. He took the best and brightest young men from Jerusalem back to serve in his government. And this wealthy, powerful king that struck fear into the hearts of not only other nations, but as we will see this morning, his own people is going to be troubled by his dreams so much so that he can't sleep. Anybody ever been in a position where you can't sleep? Or, you, or where you lose sleep? I'll tell you what, your, your mind resets when you sleep. And if you don't sleep, when my, when my son Mark passed away, I lost 43 pounds in about four weeks and I did not sleep. And when you don't sleep, it's, it becomes overwhelming. And that's the king. He's there and he just can't sleep. And he's feeling tormented. And he knows that he needs an answer to why he's having this dream. Now, it's in the second year of his reign, so it takes place early in his kingdom. It also tells us that Daniel, at this point, has only been there for two years because he was taken early in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, so he's still probably like 15 or 16 years old, which means he's still in pagan university. He's still being trained in the ways of, uh, of the Babylonians, magician, the magic and astrology. Now, all that stuff's being, it's kind of like our kids in college right now, right? Just because they teach you something in class and sometimes you have to sit through that class doesn't mean it changes you. Hopefully it won't. And in Daniel's case, it didn't. But he was being indoctrinated with the things of paganism. And he's still, again, early on in his time in Babylon. So Daniel's still just a teenager, had already refused to eat the king's delicacies because God's word forbid it had purpose in his heart not to defile himself, has spent a couple of years being taught ungodly, worldly wisdom while walking with God at the same time. And you know what? That ought to be us. There's going to be times when I had to go through training for the company I was with for 35 years, and they would give us these training things we had to watch and take tests, and it was an indoctrination and nonsense. But it's part of your job. You just go, okay, fine. And you just, you know, I took the class, but I'm, I'm not, not letting that impact me. Well, that was Daniel. Daniel's heart and devotion will be revealed by how Daniel responds in a moment of life and death. You find out where you are with the Lord when you have the deepest crisis. When the greatest tragedies happen in your life is when you find out how spiritually mature you really are. You find out where you are with the Lord, and Daniel's about to face one of those. He and his three friends. The king is troubled. He has insomnia. He needs and wants help, and he needs to understand his dream. Now, what's interesting, verse two, and the king gave command, and point number two here is turning to the world for answers. So he's in this place that his power and his position won't help. He's tormented. He needs answers. So the first thing he's going to do is run to his wise men, the guys who've already graduated from pagan university. And he brings these Chaldean guys in, and notice what it says in verse 2. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Now here's how I imagine it. And I tell you that when I read scripture, I try to put myself in the shoes of the people. And I imagine that he's having another night where he can't sleep. It's not in the text, but this is what I'm imagining. And here's what I'm imagining. It's three in the morning. He hasn't slept. He, you know, he rings his bell to get his guy to come in and says, go get my wise men. So these wise men, they go into their room and wake him up at three in the morning and the king wants to see you. And I, I imagine them coming in groggy before the king, you know, wiping the sleep out of their eyes. And he's going to tell them, I'm having a dream and I need to know what it means. He gets the sorcerers. Now, let me tell you what these titles mean. A magician is those who were skilled in dream interpretation. So this is, they took dream interpretation 101, 102, and 103. So they got dream interpretation. It's on their, it's on their you know, their, <laughs> their diploma. I took dream interpretation. So they're going to bring him in, and they're going to want interpretation of the dream. And no doubt, he, they have probably interpreted previous dreams, if not of the king, but of other people. 
And so, you know, anyone can interpret a dream if you just say whatever you want. How do you know? Well, I had this dream about an elephant running through a tunnel. Well, that means you're going to meet a redheaded person at 7 o'clock on Friday. I mean, what? The nonsense of astrology, amen? And people can say whatever they want, and how can you prove they're wrong? Well, guess what? He's going to throw a wrench into the works that's going to make it a little more difficult for them to just bluff. The astrologers were those who were skilled in healing. The sorcerers were those who practiced witchcraft. And the Chaldeans were the most distinguished of all the wise men. And during Daniel's three years of training, he's going to be indoctrinated with all these methods without accepting any of them. I took, I had to take psychology in college. What a bunch of nonsense. I had to take, you know, id, ego, super ego. Everybody wants to sleep with their mother. Just stop it already. Bunch of, uh, just garbage. And, and, you know, same thing with philo- my philosophy class. I ended up getting kicked out of that because I fought with the teacher too much. But here's the point. The point is you can be indoctrinated with all this stuff, but it doesn't mean it's true. And so these guys who are, are pagan U's, you know, they're, you know, they're doctorates. They got the PhD from pagan U. They're the ones coming in, and now he's going to ask for an answer. And no doubt they're going to look at each other and go, well, yeah, we, can, we always do that. Let's hear the, tell me the dream, and then we'll tell you what, the, what it means. We'll look at verse 3. The king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to him in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. Fair enough. Tell us the dream, and we can make something up that you'll probably believe. We'll figure something out, because we know you kill people who don't do what you want, so we'll figure something out. We'll come together and come up with a dream that sounds great, that you'll buy. Now, they're not saying that out loud, obviously, but he's letting them know this is what needs to happen. And by the way, kings don't like to wait. So I, I, I just imagine, again, my, Pastor Dave's opinion. He calls him in the middle of the night. He wants an answer. I can't sleep. Now, what's interesting, they start speaking in Aramaic, and they speak in Aramaic all the way till the end of chapter 7. And what's interesting about that is everything from chapter 2 to chapter 7 is aimed at the Gentiles. And then they go back to Hebrew in chapter 8, and everything from chapter 8 on is speaking to the Jews. So the Bible rocks. Can I get amen to that? And Aramaic was the language of the people, the general language for the nations. So he says to them, I want you, the servants say to him, tell us a dream, we'll give you the interpretation. Now, this is where it's going to get a little tougher. And again, I imagine these wise men are standing there. They just think, okay, let me tell us what it is. We'll knock this out. We'll go back to bed. And you can get on with your life, king, and we'll, we'll avoid trying to come before you anytime soon. Because, you know, coming in front of King Nebuchadnezzar could be a blessing, but not so much. It's like going to the principal's office, right? Usually not a good thing. So they're called in front of the king. Now look at verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces. I think things just changed. I think we got a whole new program. We were just going to lie to you if we had to. We were going to make something up from our, our, our Dream Interpretation 103 class, and we were going to just give it to you and go back to bed. Now, what, now wait, what did you say? Well, I want you to tell me what the dream was, and then I want you to interpret it, and if you don't, I'm going to cut you into pieces. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was not someone who made empty threats. If he said he was going to cut you into pieces, he wasn't kidding. The term cutting into pieces there literally refers to your four limbs either being drawn and quartered by horses or they would use trees. They would bring trees, they would pull them down, link it to it and let them go and it would rip your arms and legs out of the side and just rip them right out of your body. So that's not something that I think would be a fun afternoon. So they let them know, you need to do this or we're cutting you into pieces. Get 100%, I'll reward you. You get less than 100%, cutting you into pieces. Got their attention. I bet they're wide awake now. And he's asking them basically to do the impossible. Look what it says there in verse six. And he says, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. He says, look, I'm going to cut you into pieces if you don't answer the question. You went to, you went to pagan you. You should know these answers. That's why I got you around here. If you can't answer it, I don't need you. I'll cut you into pieces and we'll, we'll burn your houses to the ground and never let anybody build anything on it ever again to remind anybody, if you don't have answers for the king, that's what's going to happen to you and your family. That's the threat. Nebuchadnezzar's threats are real. 
And it is going to cause great trepidation for these wise men. Again, worldly wise men. Verse 6, however, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. So it sounds wonderful that if you get 100 on the test, you're going to get great rewards, but this is a test that's pretty much impossible. And we're going to see even in their answer, they're going to tell him, King, you're asking us the impossible. Look at verse 7. Then it says there, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. Now, do you think he's going to be excited to be asked the same question twice? Do you think he's being really patient and this is just Nebuchadnezzar? Now, Nebuchadnezzar, I just imagine this guy being a guy that's just a hothead and we're going to see it next week. Throw them in the fire again. I mean, I just see the bulges coming out of his neck and I think this guy's head's about to explode all the time. Now look what it says. So they asked him again, verse eight. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. You're like, you're, just, you're stalling. You're asking me for more time. I want the answer now. By the way, call in the executioners. Get them in here. I've got some guys I'm about to cut into pieces. And these guys are all standing and they're all looking at each other, trying to get an answer and trying to figure out what in the world they're going to do. Verse 9, if you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. He accuses them of lying to him in the past. He says, if you can't do this today, then all that other nonsense you've been telling me is just a bunch of lies because you're supposed to have a connection with spiritual things. You guys are magicians and astrologers and soothsayers. You're supposed to be the ones that can talk to the gods in his mind, right? And you can talk to, and you can find answers in the spirit world. And so if you can't tell me my dream, then I know you've just been lying to me the whole time I've had you, and I really don't need you, and I'd be happy to just cut you all into pieces and move on. Okay, Pastor Dave paraphrase, but that's pretty much what's happening. And so you can imagine these guys are, they know this, they've seen him kill people. They know that he is not a man who gives empty threats. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered and said, now look what they say, there's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Here's what they say. Nobody can do this. What you're asking us to do is impossible. And no one's ever asked it of a soothsayer or a magician. You know, the word literally means interpreter of dreams. But what they're letting them know is we don't have any answers. Finally, somebody who recognizes they don't have any answers. Amen? I think the world needs to know that they don't have any answers. So he's telling them that, I know you've been lying to me. And then their response is, if you don't tell me, then I, I, I won't believe you, and I'll believe you've been lying to me all along. And then they say, nobody can do it. Now, is it true that no man can do it? What's the answer? No man can do it. But a man who knows God can do it, and our God can do it, amen? The world does not have the answers. All the answers come from Christ, amen? They all come from the, the Lord, from the Holy Spirit, these guys are spiritually dead. They don't know God. They're practicing witchcraft and soothsaying. They've gone to pagan you, and they're not going to have any answers for the king. Verse 11, it is a difficult thing that you're, the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, again, the dwelling's not with flesh yet, but the dwelling is coming with flesh in Jesus Christ. Amen? But what's interesting is they're letting them know this is impossible. It can't be done. Only, only God can do it. Only the gods can do it. Now, again, in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, I thought you were my God guys. I thought you were my guys that could talk to the gods. And now you're telling me only the gods can do it. So they don't talk to you. So why do I have you? Why are you here? And we're going to see him getting very angry very quickly. Look at verse 13. Oh, verse 12, for this reason, the king was very happy and said, let's just all go eat bonbons. That's not what happened. He says, for this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. 
They didn't answer. Get the executioners in there and start dicing them up. Let's go. Drag them out. Call out the horses. Let's draw and quarter them. And, he's, and you know what? When he says it, he's not bluffing. And guess what? Look at verse 13. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men. They started doing it. It wasn't a veiled threat. They started killing wise men. No doubt, some of the wise men are running away, but they're being put to death because they have no answers. It says, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So Daniel and his compassions are still sophomores at Pagan U. So they are, don't get called into this meeting because they're still wise men in training. And so they're back at the dorm or wherever they're staying, and they're going to come find them and kill them just because they got wise men after their name, even though they had nothing to do with it. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. You guys, why do I have wise men? You don't know anything. I'm killing all of you. Kill them all. Don't need them. They're of no help. I can't sleep. They're of no help. Is this guy kind of a rash guy? Is this the kind of guy you want to go in front of? Not so much. Now, I love, I love the picture we see here that you go to the world and the world has no answers. And we're going to see a teenage boy who knows God is going to have answers. Because guys, we don't run to the world, we run to the Lord. Amen? We don't turn to those who will just make stuff up to make us feel good about the answer they want to give us. So they're going to go out and seek Daniel. And imagine being Daniel and his friends awakened and to the fact that the king is killing the wise men and you're next in line. Point number three, turn to the Lord when seeking the truth. Look at verse 14. Then the council, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. So they come to the door, Daniel opens it, and there's the executioner, Arioch, going, yeah, we're killing all the wise men. You guys are next. Come with me. We're going to go draw and quarter you guys. Let's go. Now, watch what Daniel does. Daniel doesn't panic. Daniel, again, is careful in how he responds to the king executioner. He's going to answer with counsel and wisdom. He's obviously innocent of all this, yet calmly and discreetly is going to deal with this crisis. And Daniel's calmness in this crisis showed what kind of man he was. Crisis does not make a godly man, but it reveals who he is. I said this of, of COVID. COVID did not change the church. It just revealed it. It revealed who would stand when nobody else would. Who would have church when nobody else would? Who would take a stand for the things of God and would not, would not close down their church because of a threat? So the same thing's happening here. Daniel's under a threat. It's not going to change who he is, but it's going to reveal who he is. Again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. It's easy to say that we love the Lord and will serve God when we're on the cruise ship to heaven and everything's easy, but we find out what's in our heart when things get tough and we could be facing great consequences. So Daniel's going to answer the ex executioner, not with panic, but with calmness and character, not afraid to die. Again, you couldn't threaten him with heaven. Look at verse 15. He answered and said to Ariok, the captain, why is it the decree so urgent? Hey, why is he killing people so quick? What's the deal? What's going on? Doesn't run, doesn't panic. Why is he, what, what, what brought about this kill all the wise men program? How did that happen? And he says there in verse uh, 15, again, he answered him, why is it so urgent that Ariok made the decision known to Daniel? So Daniel earned enough with the executioner to at least get him to tell him, well, here's what happened. Now, I truly believe it's because of the calmness of Daniel. And Daniel just looks him in the eye and says, why is this happening? And the guy responds to him. Typically, when an executioner goes to somebody's house, I don't think they're having long conversations. I think he's got a mission. He goes in and handles it, right? I don't see like hangmen and Westerns having long conversations. On the, that's not happening. But here with Daniel, he's like, why is this happening? Why is this so urgent? So he lets him know. Look at verse 16. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time. Now, didn't the, didn't the pagan university guys ask for time? What did he say? No, you're stalling. No, you're just try, you're trying to figure out something you can make up. Not going to work. No. But look what happens with Daniel. 
that he might tell the king the interpretation. Here's the difference. He says to him, look, you give me time, I'll come back for the interpretation. The other guys just are like, well, we need time. So he tells him, look, I'll give you the answer. Now, the king's desperate for the answer because he's not going to be able to sleep until he gets it. This thing is tormenting him night after night, and he needs an answer. And Daniel has enough confidence to say he can give him the answer. And you know why Daniel had confidence to say he could give him the answer? Because he knew that God could give him the answer. This is a man of faith who knew that if he cried out to the Lord, the Lord could show him. And if the Lord doesn't show him, they'll kill him and heaven's better anyway. So he's got a calmness about him. He's a man, even though he's probably 16 years old. And so he tells him to give him time. He calmly responds to his executioner as to why the king, why he's acting so hastily. And he earned some level of grace from Ariok. He didn't execute him. He explained the situation about the troubling dream. Now look at Daniel went in. So he asked for it. More grace is shown to Daniel as he asked for time than the wise men did, God. And the king gave him time. It did not accuse him of stalling. The Lord gave Daniel favor with the king, the spiritful confidence of a man of faith in God. That's what he had. He was a man of God, so he had confidence. We know when somebody attacks our faith or attacks us, if we, if we know who we are in the Lord and we have confidence in what we believe and why we believe it, we don't need to get angry. We don't need to raise our voices. I typically say the person yelling is the person who's wrong at the top of their lungs, right? And so we don't have to do that. We don't have to, we don't have to fear what people say, if they mock us, whatever. We can respond with calm confidence because we know the truth and we know the King of Kings and we're filled with the Holy Spirit and it doesn't matter what anybody else says because the truth isn't going to change. Amen? So we can respond that way. And this is Daniel. He comes in, the 16-year-old kid, he's still, in, he's still in the university, right? He hasn't even graduated yet, but he's a man filled with the Spirit. He's a man who's purposed in his heart to not defile himself. He's a man who's faithfully serving the Lord. And that is a man or a woman that God can use. Now watch what Daniel does. So now he's got to come up with the answer. And I love this. This is an example for all of us. Pay attention. Look at verse 17. The Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Who are they? His other Jewish friends would also been, are also in pagan you with him, right? And what does he do when he needs to hear from the Lord? He goes to his friends, they get on their knees together, and they pray. You know what's one of the greatest things you can have? is friends who pray. Amen? So when, in a time of difficulty and trial, the, the pagans had nowhere to turn. The astrologers had nowhere to turn. They said it's impossible. Nobody has the answer. And you know what these young Jewish boys do? They run to the one who has the answer. We're going to go talk to the one who created everything. We're going to get on our knees. We're going to cry out to him and let him give us the answer. Guys, prayer should be the first place we go. It should not be the last resort. Amen? Well, I tried everything else. I guess I can pray. I get that phone call. Well, Pastor Dave, I've had, to, I've had 67 doctor's visits, and I've done 43 other things, and I've tried every you know, uh, every healthy thing I could possibly do, I guess I have to pray. I'm like, bro, maybe we had prayed first, we could have cut out the rest of that nonsense. Amen? It's not all nonsense, but you know what I mean. Praying should be where we go first. Prayer should be immediate. We should be people of prayer. And what does Daniel do? Okay, this is where we are. Let me get with my bros and let's get on our knees. So that they might seek, verse 18, the mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish. There's some motivation to pray. Hey guys, you're all gonna die. Let's get on our knees. I think we should talk to God about this. And they seek the Lord. And do you think when they're praying, knowing that they might perish, there might be a sense of, urgency and desperation. Now, in my prayer life, this is absolutely true. The more dire the circumstance, the more desperate my prayer. Can I get an amen to that? We should, we should pray with fervency always. But if I've got a family member who's dying with cancer, I pray more fervently than I'm praying to get to work on time because I'm late. Amen? It's just a different circumstance. So these guys are in a position where their prayer is fervent. They know that they're, they, they're, they're going to lose their life if God doesn't answer this prayer. But at the same time, I believe that even if God said no, I think these guys would be okay because they've already said, we're willing to die for the diet you want us to eat and we're not doing it. 
So if they're willing to die for the diet, I think they're willing to die to make a stand for the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us in James, you have not because you ask not. It also says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. Guys, if we need answers, we need to go to the Lord. Who has the answers? The Lord does. Who always has the answer? The Lord does. Who's never wrong? The Lord. Amen? And so we, we run to the one with the answers. We don't run to 400 other people first and again make him the last resort. So they get on their knees. They're seeking the Lord. And it says there, praying that they might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. See, the other wise men of Babylon are already being put to death. We're going to see later they don't all die. This is a process. There must be quite a few of them. But there, there's already many who have died. I have an idea that the ones that showed up in the room are already dead. And they're killing more of the wise men, and they know that they're going to be on that list unless God shows up. And that's a place, that's a time that brings you to desperation. Verse 19. Now notice what it says. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So you're crying out knowing if this prayer isn't answered, I am going to die. My life is going to end, as well as all these other uh, again, Christian brothers of mine. And God reveals to Daniel. Notice it says in a night vision. Um, I spent some time looking it up. I looked at a lot of commentary. So it could be a dream. It could just be that something God showed to him in a vision. But in either case, he prayed and God showed him. And you know what? I don't believe God shows him if he doesn't pray. Amen? He, he ran to the Lord. He sought wisdom from the Lord. He asked the Lord for the answer, and God gives him the answer. May we not attempt to face our trials alone. May we turn to the Lord and cry out to the one who has the answers. Again, it wasn't Daniel's intellect or his university of wise men studies that gave him the answer. Daniel didn't find out. God revealed it to him. Daniel didn't figure it out on his own. God showed him. And do you know that God can show all of us, and you don't have to be smarter than anybody else, and Daniel later is going to take any credit, even though there in verse 19, what does it say? And he blessed the God of heaven. He didn't say, man, I'm smart. I'm, I'm a great scientist. I'm really articulate. I get tired of even Christians talking about how knowledgeable they are. Guys, the, don't, the reality is, it's all the Lord. And to him alone get all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. So point number three there. Turn to the Lord when seeking the truth. Then it says, verse 23, I put 20 to 23, thank the Lord and praise him that he hears our prayers and answers them. Look what happens here in verse 20. So Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells within him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and you have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Is that thanking God? God shows them and he says, thank you, Lord. Praise your name, God. What a great and awesome God. You set up kings and tear them down. I'm not worried about him, Lord. You're faithful. You showed me what needed to be shown. He praises God. When was the last time you thanked God like that? We need to do that more often, amen? By the way, if, if we just take the things he's already done for us, we can't thank him enough if we pray from now until the Lord comes back, Amen? He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He filled us with his Holy Spirit. We've been blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, and insured. He's given us a down payment on heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit. We ought to be jumping up and down a little bit about that. Amen? And we should be thanking him about that. So we can't thank him enough. And then he does something else. He's, thank you, Jesus. I think we need to be saying that out loud a little more often. Amen? So here, he gives thanks to the Lord. He praises his name. He recognizes that all the credit and all the glory comes from the Lord alone. And we, we learn to praise him even when the thing doesn't happen the way we want it to. Sometimes it's, it is easier to praise him when it goes our way. But when God says no, praise him anyway because he's an all-knowing, almighty, powerful God and he knows what's best for you. Amen? 
It says in Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. We can't praise him enough. Point number five. When God chooses to use you, speak boldly in faith and give God the glory. Look at verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went to Ariok. He went to the executioner. Hey, bro. You know, I, I, I think going out to find the executioner, probably not something most of us would do. But Daniel went and found him, and here's what he says. He went to Anna and said, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Like, stop killing them. Take me to the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. Now, this is bold of Arioch, and you can tell that Daniel's impacted him because he's coming in believing this guy has the interpretation. And if I'm Arioch and I work for Nebuchadnezzar and I help him slaughter people, I'm probably not siding with the guy coming in to give the interpretation until I know that he knows what he's talking about. But he brings him in. I got a guy. He's linking himself up with Daniel. This is what happens when a spirit-filled man is interacting with the world. God can use him to impact people's hearts and faith is contagious. Can I get an amen to that? And we see that taking place here as he comes before him. And so he brings him before him. The king answered and said, Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream I have seen and its interpretation? So he's called him in and he says to him, I found a man, King Nebuchadnezzar is skeptical. All the other wise men have failed. Here comes young Daniel. All my guys in their 70s and 80s who've been in pagan you and got PhDs and been serving and telling me my dreams for all these years. And now this 16-year-old kid comes in here, hasn't even graduated yet. How are you going to tell me when those guys we've educated all these years can't tell me? Well, the difference is they don't know God and Daniel does. Amen? So Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. You go, Daniel. Amen? He says, hey, yes, I have the, you know those knuckleheads from Pagan U? You know my professors from Pagan U, my philosophy teacher? Guess what? They don't have any answers. They can't tell you anything. They don't know God. All they have is a bunch of nonsense. He's saying this to the king, and these are his wise men. Then look what he says. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what he will do in the latter days. Your dream and your visions upon your head, upon your bed, were these. So he says, look, the world doesn't have any answers. Soothsayers, magicians, they don't have answers but there is a God in heaven who does. And guys, when we talk to people, we need to let them know the world doesn't have the answer you're looking for. It's not a political party. It's not something you join. It's not some degree that you gain. It's not some promotion that you get. The answers don't come from the world. The answer comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Almighty God, who created you in his image and wants to have a relationship with you. And your life will continue to be empty until you surrender your life to him. Amen? And we need to bring that. We need to have that boldness to tell them that he is the answer. And they will not find it anywhere else. It says in 1 Corinthians, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The men of this world who think they're intelligent are all idiots compared to God. Amen? Well, I've got 47 degrees. So what? My, my, my best friend created the universe. Amen? We got a satellite in the sky. He put all the stars in the sky like that. Just don't even talk to me. Can I get an amen to that? Just letting them know that the people you pursue have no, have no value of any kind, really. Look at verse 29. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while you were in bed. And he said, and would come to pass after this, and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what it will be. He's letting him know that God actually gave you this dream, Nebuchadnezzar, so you would know it. You're the king, you're the ruler of the land, and he wants you to know this. But as for me, again, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, 
But for our sakes, we make known the interpretation to the king that you may know the thoughts of your heart. So he's letting him know, I know this not because I'm smart. I know this because of God's grace. Verse 31, you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image was splendor, whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and its thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. It felt part, its feet partly iron and partly clay. You watched while a stone was cut, out, cut without hands, which struck the image on its feet of the iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together, became like chaff from the summer, from the summer fleshing threshing floor, and no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Is that specific? You know, that the, these soothsayers, oh, it's always some general. You, you have somebody in your life who's got an A in their name, an A-E-I-O-R-U in their name, <laughs> and you have a question about them. You know, you know it's so stinking vague. It could mean anything. I love when God gives us something, this is not, I mean, this is either the answer or he's dying. Amen? He tells him the whole dream. There's this statue, it's got a golden head and a silver and a bronze, and then, and then a, a stone comes and hits it and crushes it and it falls to pieces and it turns to chaff and it blows away, and then a huge mountain comes out from where the stone was. Now, that, that better be accurate. Amen? Or he's dead. But guess what? Our God's all-knowing, amen? I love it. Now, what, what does the king say? We're going to go a few minutes over. Are we okay with that? I'm just going to, because I'm not stopping right here. And guess, oh, next week. And we're not going to do that. So watch. This great image climbs out, the stone. Look at verse 35, verse 36. So verse 36 there is point number six. God is sovereign and in control, and in the end, he wins. Look what happens. He says there, verse 36, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you the kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men may dwell, or beasts of the field, or birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over all of them. You are the head of gold. He lets them know you are the head of gold. It is you and your nation that are the head of gold. Now he's going to tell them what the subsequent things in this vision mean. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. That's Alexander the Great. We'll get to it. The fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters and everything like iron that crushes that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. Whereas you saw the feet and the toes partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so shall the kingdom be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, then you mingle the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as the iron does not mix with the clay. And in the days of the kings, the king of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to the other people. It shall break in pieces, consume all these kingdoms, and they shall stand forever. So let me tell you what these kingdoms are quickly. So gold is the Babylonian empire. The next one that would came was the Medes and the Persians, which is a picture of the silver on both arms. So there were two nations that came together to rule together, the Medes and the Persians. The bronze is the Greeks, uh, the belly and the thighs. That's Alexander the Great. Do you know that Alexander the Great conquered the entire world by his early 20s? And he literally died young because he had nothing else to do, because he had conquered everybody. The legs of iron, that's the Roman Empire, and the feet of iron and clay. So all these other ones came as prophesied, but the one that is coming is the 10 toes. Now, this is where people, most people believe it's going to be a reformation of the Roman empire. And that's what, that will be the kingdom that is reigning during the tribulation with the antichrist. Now, it is interesting that the European economic community or whatever we call it, the EU, 
literally covers the same area as the Roman. And at one point, it was 10 nations. Now it's more, but nations drop out. But it's interesting that there's 10 toes, and it's going to cover the old Roman Empire. And this is the one that is still in the future. It's going to be the last one. Now, what's going to destroy those 10 nations that come together my opinion, being led by the Antichrist. We just studied Revelation. This is why we're studying Daniel now. Who do you think this stone is cut without hands that comes down and crushes all the nations, blows them all into chaff, they all disappear, and now a mountain comes up in its place? Who's that? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Going to crush all those nations All those great nations that rule and reign, Jesus Christ will come and crush them all. Again, picture of the second coming when we come back. And then he talks about that he's going to raise up. He's going to raise up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Well, that's, of course, the millennial kingdom, but then our time with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever and ever. There it is. Amen? Bible rocks. Now, Watch what happens because these young men stood up. Look at verse 45 as we finish. He said, Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it broke the pieces of iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. We still haven't heard from the king yet if he agrees that this is the dream and the interpretation. Now watch what happens. The king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded they should present an offering and incense to him. And the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. See what happens? Daniel stood for the Lord. Daniel got on his knees and prayed and cried out to the Lord. God gave him the answer. Daniel boldly presented the answer to the king, and the king could not refute it. And the king, who was chopping people up into pieces, who was arrogant, angry, murderer, gets on his knees and confesses that the God of Daniel is God. Amen? Can God do that? Wouldn't it be awesome if you read the paper tomorrow and it said, and President Biden fell on his face? (laughs) Not on purpose, though. Can God do that? What's the answer? Governor Newsom fell on his face. By the way, anybody see Mike Johnson? He's our new leader of the House of Representatives. That brother preached Jesus like Billy Graham. He did not hold back. He talked nothing about God. And they finally said, what is your position on that? He said, you want to know my position? Open up the Bible. That's my position. I just, make him president right now. Let's just, amen. Point of making this, praise God for people who will stand up for the things of God, not be fearful of men, not be ashamed of the gospel. Guys, we need to be on our knees, crying out to the Lord and trust that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. Amen? Amen. Look how it finishes. Then the king promoted Daniel. I guess so. All you idiots who've been, got the PhD, go sit down. Daniel and his boys. That's what happens. Look what it says. They promoted Daniel, gave him many gifts. He made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief administrator over the wise men of Babylon. They all work for him now. And Daniel petitioned the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat at the gate of the king. The gate of the king is where everybody came to have things judged. And Daniel was now the judge over all of Babylon and he's probably about 16 years old. That's what our God can do with somebody who's willing to be used by the Lord. Amen? So, 49 verses. Mock two hair on fire. Yay, God. From a troubled spirit to a place of worship and surrender. Is that not what we saw with, with King Nebuchadnezzar? He had a troubled spirit. He couldn't sleep. And now he's on his face crying out, saying, your God is God. Now, that's why chapter three, you got to come next week. It's really going to mess with you because he's going to build a statue and tell people to worship him. So he doesn't stay there for long. Wealth, power, position will never bring peace. Turning to the world for answers will not bring you any answers. Turn to the Lord when you're seeking the truth. 
Thank the Lord and praise him that he hears our prayers. We need to thank him and praise him and thank him and praise him and thank him and praise him. Amen? When God chooses to use you, speak boldly in faith and give God the glory. Know that God is sovereign and in control, and in the end, he wins. And when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. May we dare to be Daniels. Lord, may we be unashamed of our faith. Lord, may we be people of prayer and people who cry out on behalf of even the most wicked among us. King Nebuchadnezzar, from troubled spirit to crying out that you are God. And Lord, we know that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Lord, may there be less of us, more of you. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray in all God's people said. Amen. Is he worth